So we're continuing in uh, Mark. We're doing a short little passage today, and I really felt just on the back of conversations I've had the past few weeks, some of what our church has been through and some of what we've navigated over the past, since we started really, over the past seven to eight months, I really wanted to dive just a little bit further into possibly a a topic we might struggle with or we might want to get to grips with, and that's the area of how do we live in the middle, in between what we see in society, what we see in scripture, how do we live in between seeing sickness, difficulty, trials on one side, and then Jesus breaking through healing and those things on the other side? How do we live in the mix of that in in between? And so um, we're going to do a deep dive into that today, and I trust it's going to be something that really gives you the strong foundation, uh, the strong Uh, sort of a peace and a rest in God and an expectation for him to do the miraculous. So I'm excited for that. um, And I'm also thrilled about Vic coming to join us next week. I have no idea what he's preaching on. I said to him, I trust him. Uh, and so, so I, I hope that I trust him. Uh, no, I do. And so I'm really, I'm really excited about what he's going to be covering as well. So if you have your Bibles, I would love you to turn to Mark uh, 3. If you don't, it is going to be on the screen. And if you're here joining us and you've been invited by a friend, you're visiting for the first time, and it's, uh, this is your first time through the doors of a church, please feel so at home amongst us. Please feel that you can ask questions afterwards, things that don't make sense you can chat about. Uh, we, we're here for that. We're available for that. We're all on different places on the journey of faith, but God is at work. And so we'll read this together. This is what it says from uh, verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, uh, Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan, and from around Tyre and Sidon. So we've got to have in our minds, this is thousands of people following Jesus. I think we sometimes go, oh, he must have had a few hundred. Yes, he fed the 5,000. That was a great miracle. No, he was surrounded by thousands of people trying to get close to him. This is why. When the, crowd, when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. Now, we've looked at this the past few verses, chapters. We're going to see this as we go through the rest of Mark. He was performing the most astounding, miraculous works. So people were being healed. The demonic was, uh, was being cast out. Jesus was doing incredible miracles. He told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. So this is the desperation. Think sort of concert. Uh, or, a, or a, a sports game, those times where people are actually crushed because of desperation to get close to the front. This is what was happening with Jesus. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. It was electric. The kingdom that was pouring out of him, the perfect kingdom that was pouring out of Jesus, was transforming people before others' eyes. Uh, other passages that we look at in certain places said that he healed all who came to him. Sometimes says many, sometimes says all. So in some of those cases where there was four or 5,000 people, imagine 5,000 people with diseases, with issues, and all of them leaving well. Astounding. We're excited to see him do those sorts of things. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and they cried out, you are the son of God. He strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those who meet the side, and they came to him. So as we've tracked through Mark and the other Gospels, just as in this passage, we see much physical and mental emotional healing take place. We see this through the Gospels. It says Jesus healed many. It says in this passage, it says he healed, as I said earlier, all in others. Those with diseases wanted to touch him because they knew that if they just touched him, 
if they just grabbed hold of his cloak, healing would come. So I want you to get this into our minds if we were there in that time. Those with demon possession and other mental issues were being healed by him as well. And in other passages in scripture, in certain places, we see this happening in small and one-on-one with Jesus and in large with thousands. There was lots of healing taking place all the time with Jesus. And I'm excited to hear those testimonies of that happening with us as well. And so we've heard that as we prayed for people, we've heard different people saying, this changed in my life, this changed. We're excited to see God do even more amongst us. And so we should always be expectant for the supernatural. That's the naturally supernatural Christian life. I'm going to have a deep dive into that shortly. Now, reading this can be really encouraging or it can be depressing at the same time. If you've experienced miraculous healing in your own life, reading these stories of Jesus is amazing. You sit and go, well, he did it then, he's done it for me, this is amazing. If you're on the other side and you feel like you haven't seen God move supernaturally, if you haven't seen him heal in the way you expected, yourself or a family member, this can be really discouraging because you read what you see in scripture and then you turn around and you go, but, but I haven't experienced what's happened there, so where is the disconnect? So it's both encouraging and it's discouraging. And you might have these questions, where was Jesus then? At that moment, I really wanted to see him come through for me, and he didn't. Where was he? Or maybe some of you in this room now are going through some incredibly difficult times, and you're asking the question of where is he now? I see what he did in Scripture, but where is he now for what I am going through? Does he still do miraculous healing in the same way as he did then? And if so, is there a special formula that we can follow to make it happen for us? Can we tick a few boxes, follow this, follow this, seven steps to your healing? Is there something like that available in the Christian faith? I'm here to tell you there isn't, but uh, in case you're wondering. But there are some principles and tools that we can look at when we look at today. And it can often be really hard to live as Christ followers in the balance between healing, between sickness, between tragedy, between doctors, unanswered questions, and more. And we've experienced this, as I said, as a church family in the past eight months, some really difficult things. Some of you here have gone through some immense heartbreak. And so I understand that. You've experienced the suffering and the difficulty. And we're going to look at both sides today. And so we feel as Hope Church, if we can have a strong biblical foundation for how we navigate this world in which we live, it's actually going to help us. It's going to give us a robust faith. It's going to give us an expectation for God to move powerfully amongst us and a special sense of Him with us and close to us, even when we don't understand what's happening. So that's my goal and my heart as we go through it today. So a few scripture reading essentials. This is for all of us as we read scripture. Firstly, we need to do all we can to to interpret scripture properly. This is the first thing I'll say for each of us. Whether you're new to faith here, whether you've known God for many years, we need to come to the Bible, which we're looking out of today, and we need to go, what does the Bible really say? In that passage, what did it really say? Not what do I want it to say, what did it really say? That's the first thing, whenever we read. Second thing, when we look at Scripture, is we need to approach it with an unbiased, humble perspective. It's easy for, it's easy for us to approach the Bible as if we decide what the Bible means. Very easy for us to do that. And that's a proud way to approach the Bible. What we actually need to do, if it is God's word, is we need to come humbly. We need to say, Lord Jesus, what is it that you want to say to us through your word? What is it that you mean from this passage? And then how can I live that out on the back? Because there's lots of things that are uncomfortable for me personally when I read scripture. 
If I go through it, I'm reading some of Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, some other things that you read in Scripture, some of the New Testament things that come up as well. It can be uncomfortable, and it, can, it could sort of challenge the way that I think about the world. But instead of me going, no, this is how I think about the world, so the Bible must submit to that. No, I need to go, maybe this is how I think about the world, but actually I need to submit to God's word. So how do I take what he says and apply that to my life? You see, all of scripture is God-breathed. And that was written actually after Jesus died and rose again. And so the writers were saying everything that's been written, all of scripture is from God. It's useful. It's valuable to us. We just need to take it as we should. And thirdly, we need to look at the entire spread of scripture on each topic that we look at. So whatever you're deciding to study, whatever you want to find out more about, maybe it's parenting. Maybe we're looking at today healing. Maybe it is marriage. We need to take the whole spread of scripture for us to really get what the Bible is saying. Because if we cherry pick verses that we like and we ignore verses that we don't like, we don't actually get the holistic picture, the whole counsel of God that he's talking about. So when you're reading and you suddenly come across something you don't like or something you love, just make sure that you read it in light of all of scripture so that you get a real picture and an overview of what God's doing. And I find that when you do that, you get to this beautiful middle ground. I always call it the area of beautiful discomfort. We get to this, this, this middle ground where we look at the extremes on both sides and we get down to the middle and it's the most beautiful place to rest in God's word. So three things that we're going to look at today and then we're going to take communion and I'm excited to do that on the back of what we sung, we're going to look at on the cross of Christ today. Three points quickly. We're going to look at where does sickness come from? And I'll describe that. Where does healing come from? And how do we live in between as Christ follows? Simple ones that we're going to look at. This could be a whole series in itself, and I understand that. So this is going to be an overview. What I'm going to do for those on our broadcast list, I'm going to send a few really helpful PDFs in the week from people uh, probably far wiser and more experienced in this than me, just for you to do further reading on. And so if you aren't on the broadcast list, please sign up for that as well. But I've loved drawing from many different sources and uh, obviously ultimately from Jesus as I've prepped on this. And as someone who hasn't personally grappled with immense difficulty and immense trial, it would be really arrogant for me to come across and share from the point of I know what it feels like, because I don't. I've probably been through a lot less than many people in this room have been through. You see, it's often very easy for us, me included, to stand at a distance and say why sickness has happened what that person did, where that's come about from, what the roots are of that sickness. It's easy to do that when you're on the outside. But actually, that's a really proud, arrogant way to live. What we actually need to do is humble ourselves and come alongside people who are suffering and ask them how we can support, how we can help, how we can pray, how we can be part of God bringing his healing to their lives. And so in this area of healing and sickness, there's two great theological errors Theology is the study of scripture, the study of faith, when it comes to the area of sickness, tragedy, and healing. And they're on two sides. The first one is on this side, and it's called fatalism. And fatalism is basically, uh, if we were to get down to the end of it, it's a matter of time before we each get sick and die. That's fatalism. It's a matter of time before we get sick and die, before we get hurt, before we face tragedy. And the underlying belief is that nobody gets healed today. God's in control, but he stands at a distance. Nobody gets healed today. It's just a matter of time it's going to happen. That's fatalism on one side. And then on the other side, the other extreme is called triumphalism. Triumphalism. And this is you have a divine right 
to perfect healing and perfect life now, this side of eternity. It's your right. You need to claim it, and it's yours for the taking. So that's triumphalism. The other one is fatalism. And neither of those are biblical standpoints, and neither of them are healthy. And so again, we come to the middle ground of those two and say, Jesus, what is biblical in this? And so you might find yourself a little bit along the lines on either side. You might be on this far side here, and you might be going, well, I, I don't believe that Jesus doesn't heal today. I don't believe that life is, is that terrible. But I kind of stand it a bit like here and say, I just don't really think that he does things like he did before. Or you might be more prone to this side and going, he is going to do it. He's going to make it happen and he's going to make it happen now no matter what. And so you're also going on this side going, okay, well, what does scripture teach me in that as well? So we come to this middle ground as we go. I love uh, what Terry Virgo says. I'd love to get him out here uh, planted uh, in his time with New Frontiers, uh, hundreds, I think thousands of churches around the world. Um, somebody who's seen the miraculous in an amazing way, but I feel has also stayed so grounded and close to biblical truth. This is what he says on it. He says, suffering and joy fill our New Testaments. Not escapism, that's trying to get away from this world. It's so messed up. We just need to escape and get to heaven. Or triumphalism nor despondency and de dejection. We don't also just go, woe is me, life is terrible. But solid confidence in God who is with us in the fiercest of storms. So that's where we're going to base ourselves. So where does sickness come from? Now, all of these people who came to Jesus, the thousands, why did they come to Jesus? Because they were sick. So all those people in Jesus' time with him there, the reason why we read that passage, that they all came to and they wanted to touch his garment, is because they were sick. And that hasn't changed today. Within our church and beyond its walls, people who follow Jesus and people who don't follow Jesus, we experience this brokenness, all of us. Our world is a mess. Doesn't matter if you read the news, doesn't matter if you have friendships and things that have happened, we live in a world of brokenness. Every day someone is dying, it may be from old age, it could be from sickness, it may have been from tragedy, but we can't escape the realities of our world. We live in a broken world, and I think everyone would agree with that. But where does it come from? I think five key areas, or maybe a blend of these areas. Ah, it's a car. I thought it was a kid screaming until it got uh, a little bit loud. That would have been pretty terrifying if it was a child. Uh, so firstly, where does, uh, does this brokenness come from? The first one, the fall. This is called original sin. God said in Genesis 3 verse 3, he said to Adam and Eve, who he created first, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And Adam and Eve made a decision to go against what God had said and to choose their own way. And as they did that, they ushered in sin into the world, into their hearts, and through the overflow of that into the rest of society. And so our world lost the perfect state it was in, and therefore we all experience brokenness as a result. Sickness usually comes before death, could be a heart attack, a stroke, terminal death, but that's usually, ter sorry, terminal disease, terminal death is the same thing, just so, <laughs> in case you think I don't know that, um, or our body slowly packing down over time. That's what happens, it slowly packs down, subject to decay. And this is what it says, in Romans 8, Paul says this. I think we've got it over there uh, if we read. For creation was subjected to futility, um, to brokenness, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. God said this is going to happen. 
This is going to happen now in the world. Sin's entered. Um, in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Heaven one day. Perfect world is coming. Look what it says here. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. You get the sense that the world is just not right. Basically, the creative world and ourselves as well isn't right. Um, groaning together in the pains of childbirth. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, those who are Christ followers, we groan inwardly. Why? Because we await eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Why do we groan? Because our bodies aren't right. They aren't perfect yet either. So we live in this world of brokenness. There are no 140-year-old sold out for faith people. Doesn't matter how full of faith you are. Doesn't matter the amount of healing that you've done. Doesn't matter your belief set. There's none living today or who have lived who are 140. Why? Because our bodies are subjected to brokenness. It's going to happen to all of us, no matter how much faith we have. So the fall, first place that we get sickness from. Second one, specific sin. In scripture, we see a number of places in the Old and New Testament where people fell sick due to things that they had done wrong. The Corinthians, we're going to read a bit from that as we take communion, but the Corinthians were taking communion, the Lord's Supper, in a really arrogant way. You see, it happened around a meal, and the rich Corinthians were going and having the super fancy meal before they took communion. And the poor Corinthians, they were making bring their own food to the table. So they were having these lavish feasts, and the poor people in the church were sitting there feeling broken, feeling sad that they didn't have what the others had, and they were using it as a show to show all that they had. And as a result, is quoted in Corinthians. It's amazing that because of their heart, because of their divisive heart, they started to get sick and die. They were so hurting God's heart, so making him upset with it, that actually they ended up being ill and dying as a result of it. David fell ill in the scripture because of his adultery and his need to repent. Ananias and Sapphira were dishonest with some money that they put into the offering basket, and they also died. And so we shouldn't look on this and look on these people with disdain going, as we've said before, I'm just so much better than them. It's never going to happen to me. I mean, God, those guys were messed up, but I live perfectly. You know, I'm the perfect person. No, actually, we live going, Lord Jesus, thank you for your mercy. Because actually, all of us don't, des don't deserve the life that you give us. It's all a gift from you. Your mercies are new every morning. And so we just turn around and say, thank you, Jesus, that we actually get to experience life and that you save us from those things. We must also be careful here because not all sickness and tragedy is a result of specific sin at all. So sure, there can be a time where specific things we've done wrong can lead to that. But also many times, not at all. There was a man born blind. He's born blind. It speaks about it in John 9. And everyone around was saying, why was this man born blind? Clearly his parents did something wrong or, you know, he's done something wrong. And they were asking these questions. They were trying to play the, the blame on where the sickness had come from. And Jesus said, it's not because of sin at all. Ironically, uh, if any of you watch uh, any of the, the shows with Nick Vujicic, who was born perfectly, but with no arms and no legs. Amazing, if you want to check him out, he, he loves the Lord, he shares on it. And he said this verse was the most encouraging verse to him ever. Because he said he read this, and he was like, I don't have arms and I don't have legs. But it's not because anybody did anything wrong at all. In fact, I've got a purpose, and a great purpose in God's heart, and he's now reached many, many people, millions of people for the gospel as a result of his life. And so this, this passage had a huge help for him. Uh, there was a building that collapsed uh, in, in Jesus' time, 
And everybody was saying, but why did it collapse? What did those people do wrong? The same thing would be, there's a big flood and people die in the flood. And all of us turn around and go, what did those people do wrong? Why did they get wiped out? We might ask those questions. Jesus actually answers completely different. He doesn't give an answer like that. And he says, those people who died were no sinful than anybody else. He says in Luke, they didn't do anything wrong any more than anyone else. He doesn't answer exactly why it happened. But he says, no, it's not because of what they did. It's not because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. They didn't step out of line. Actually, it could have happened to anybody. And so those things are very interesting for us to look at. The same could be said with Job in Scripture, who was afflicted with great sickness, but actually God says he was absolutely upright. He lived the perfect life. He, well, not perfect, but he was sold out for Jesus, absolutely sold out, and yet he suffered not because of anything that he did, not because of right or wrong. And so therefore, we can't explain away suffering as a lack of faith, a presence of unconfessed sin, not living wholeheartedly for God, generational brokenness in our families, uh, errors in listening to God's voice, and so on. Often, there's no link at all to those things when it comes to our suffering. So we need to sit humbly with God on that. Third one, foolish living. There is a definite link between our lifestyles and sickness. Unhealthy eating, high levels of stress, wild living, substance abuse, and more will bring sickness on our bodies. So there's a very real link between those things. So we can't sit and go, but, but God, why am I sick? But actually our lifestyles are incredibly unhealthy. So, so there's a, a definite link in that, foolish living. The, those all increase our capacity of illness. Fourthly, Satan. He is the opposite of Christ. And in scripture, most of the time he's given credit for sickness and brokenness in the world. Most of the time in scripture, that's the case. John 10 verse 10 says he's, uh, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said the lady who had been bleeding for 18 years, he said that she had been bound by Satan and should be healed. So that's how Jesus operated in that. In Acts 10 in Scripture, it, speaks, it says Jesus was doing good and healing people oppressed by the devil. And so in Scripture, very often, that is the root of things that are happening. It is the enemy. And then finally, uh, which is important that I do need to put in, is God. But I will put a bracket in there, which is the question that many people have, why does God allow sickness? Probably one of the greatest questions that people ask, that people ask. Now, before you run out the building or start throwing things at me when I look at this, I want you to know God is not excited and it breaks his heart with pain and suffering. That's his standpoint because he loves us deeply. He does not rejoice in the hardships of life. That is why he's preparing a perfect world for us and will make everything new. So God does not rejoice or enjoy our sickness in the slightest. But there are some instances in scripture where God has overarched suffering. And the first case would be his son. So in Isaiah 53, it says that God overarched his son's suffering. Now, Jesus was obviously God in the flesh, but God was overarching this. And in fact, in Scripture, in Isaiah, it has this weird phrase which says it's God's will. It was God's will to crush Jesus. Now, we have to do a little bit of proper interpretation here because does that mean that Jesus was excited, or that God was excited to see Jesus suffer? No, not at all. The opposite. Broke his heart that his son had to suffer like that for our sin. So when it says God's will there, it's God allowed that to happen. That happened. Why? Because there was a greater good in seeing all of us have the opportunity to be saved. That could only happen through that event. So we need to be careful when we give our answers to those sorts of things. Did God love seeing Jesus on the cross? Did he celebrate it? Not at all. It broke his heart. 
but there was a greater purpose to the pain Jesus was experiencing. So God was prepared for it to happen, to, alt, to not alter the events of Jesus' life. He could have stepped in at any time. Jesus could have stepped up and changed at any time. Why did they go through it? Why did God go through it? Because there was something greater on the other side of the pain. The same could be said with Paul, with Job, with David, with Egypt. So if God is sovereign, which means he's truly in control of everything that happens in the world, then even sickness has to ultimately fall under his kingship. And that's why we can, we, that's why we can become upset with God during pain and sickness and ask the question, why have you allowed this to happen? You can ask that, and you can, and you can wait on God completely for that. There's an instinctive belief in each of us that if God is all-powerful, then he could and he should have prevented all suffering. And that's a right place for each of us to stand. But then we have to ask the question, why hasn't he? And why doesn't he do it now? And having those questions is completely okay with God. He can handle that and he's so happy for us to ask those questions. Because there's many questions we each may have in this area. And you can definitely go back, we preached on this a little bit in the Colossians series, that you can look at it more. But if God is not all-powerful, that's an even more terrifying thing. That's what I want to suggest. If God is not all-powerful in this world, then actually that's a really scary place to be. Because then we can't pray to him for healing because he doesn't really have the power to heal. He might want to. If he isn't all-powerful, he might go, guys, I really want to heal. I so want to help you. But the thing is, I just am not strong enough today. I just can't. Satan's stronger. This is happening in my world. And so my heart's desire to heal you, but I'm just so sorry. I just am not able to. That's not a God I want to pray to. But a God who I may not understand why everything's happening, but I know that he loves me. I know he has all power. That's the God I want to pray to because I know that he is able to heal. He wants to heal as well. So we serve a loving God who's in control. We can come to him. There'll be times we don't understand God's reasons for not acting as we would have hoped. But in our world, and particularly in the cross of Christ, we know enough about his dramatic love for us, his conquering of death, and the fact that he will one day make everything right. We can rest in the fact that he knows our pain, he's with us in our pain, and he will work everything for our ultimate good. So that's a little bit about where sickness comes from. We could talk a lot more on it. Those are some ideas and thoughts. Next one, the exciting part. Where does healing come from? Two main places. Two main places we see in Scripture. The kingdom of God and the power of the cross. The kingdom of God and the power of the cross. And during our series, we've already seen healing come from the kingdom of God. Just by nature of Jesus touching, by Jesus speaking, by Jesus being close to people, healing happens. Healing takes place. That's called the kingdom of God. Jesus tells us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. God's kingdom is perfect, and so when he's walking it out and living it out, and we're doing the same. We see healing come as a result. Healing gushed out of Jesus. It gave everyone around a taste of the perfect kingdom of what heaven is like. It's a picture of how one day we're going to live. That's amazing. I'm going to talk in two weeks' time on the kingdom of God. But just so you know, number one, where does healing come from? The kingdom of God. And he still heals like that today. It's why we pray. It's why last week we prayed in, um, for different people for healing. Um, and I'd love to hear some testimonies later of, of what God did. But it's why we say, Lord Jesus, would you come? We'll pray at the end of this as well. And we'll just say, Lord Jesus, would you come upon people? Would your kingdom come and would you heal? Why? Because he heals as his presence comes. Secondly, healing comes from the power of the cross. The power of the cross. 
And so we're going to be doing communion in a bit, and we're going to be praying into that. It's clear that the cross has dramatic power to heal us. It was the place of ultimate defeat of darkness in our world. It's the place where it says in Colossians 2 verse 15, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities, put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him on the cross. This is what God did. He triumphed over darkness. And the power of the cross to heal is spoken of by one of Jesus' closest followers in Matthew. Where in Matthew 8 verse 17, he quotes Isaiah 53, which I just spoke about. And uh, what he says is somebody had just been healed. And he said, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, that Jesus took our illnesses and bore our diseases on the cross. And so Matthew, one of Jesus' closest followers, was saying there is power in the cross of Christ. That what he was quoting from Isaiah 53, to see healing happen. The power of the work of the enemy in our lives was smashed at the cross. And as Jesus rose again from death to life, it showed he had supreme power over darkness. But we'll get towards the end on this. We need to be careful at this point because there's a difference between what Jesus did in saving you and I from our sin on the cross and between his healing power. There's a difference between the two which we need to get because both of those things happened. We'll have the opportunity. If you're exploring faith today, Jesus died and rose again so that you can have your sins forgiven and you can have life with Jesus now and for all eternity. He did that at the cross. And it also says he brought healing and life as a result as well. But I believe that being saved from our sin is guaranteed through what Jesus did on the cross, 100%. I believe our spiritual healing is 100% guaranteed. Our physical healing, I believe, at the cross is a source of healing. The, the cross is a source of healing for our physical healing, but it's not a guaranteed divine right, as people in the, in, who believe triumphalism would say. And why do I say that? There's a number of reasons. Because if healing was automatically available at the cross and it was guaranteed in the same way that you and I being saved from our sin could believe in it, then if you and I aren't saved, um, aren't healed from our sicknesses this side of eternity, we should most definitely be questioning whether Jesus can save us for eternity. Do you see why they can't be the same thing? Because we live in a broken world, but if both are 100% guaranteed at the cross, then each of us who aren't healed or live perfectly and never die until Jesus returns, each of us have to then ask the question and say, well, if Jesus wasn't strong enough in the cross to heal me of my sickness, he might not be strong enough to save me of my sin. And the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches there is 100% guarantee that we are saved from our sin. And so a few things to think on um, about the cross of Christ when it comes to our healing and guarantee of healing. Firstly, I think it goes against common sense in our world because almost all of us will die from sickness. Almost all of us will die from sickness at some point in time that we don't recover from. And secondly, if our healing is guaranteed in the cross of Christ, 100% it's there for the taking, then how come, as I said earlier, so many great faith healers in history also died from sickness? We could look at many different, uh, Benny Johnson, we could look if we go back to Wendell Smith, we could look at Smith Wigglesworth, we could look at John Wimber. These guys lived and breathed the healing power of God, but they died of sickness. And so it most definitely isn't experienced in the same way as our spiritual healing is. Scripture also says in 1 Corinthians 12 that there's a wonderful gift of healing that's given to some people. But if we could get all our healing from the cross, then there's no need for the gift of healing. 
In fact, that shouldn't be given at all because if each of us personally can just claim that healing. So that's another reason why I'd say, no, actually, people have a gift of healing. Why? Because we want to see them operate in God's kingdom in that. Scripture also places high value on doctors and medicine. Jesus called Luke the beloved physician, and in 1 Timothy 5 verse 23, Timothy was told to take some medicine. And so Jesus had a high regard for doctors and for medicine as well as part of our healing process. If not, he would have just said, no, just get it in the cross. You don't need to get it anywhere else but in the cross. And then finally, it's really interesting that Apostle Paul, one of the human superheroes of faith, responsible for writing the majority of the New Testament, didn't operate by means of purely belief in the power of cross, the cross for automatic healing either. Look at just some of what he says. In Galatians 4 verse 13, he says, You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, we don't know where it was a flu, maybe it was an upset stomach, who knows? You didn't scorn me or despise me. You didn't make fun of me and be like, but Paul, you're like the superhero. Why are you sick? No, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. And so Paul himself, it would have easy, easily, you know, been easy for him to say, no, just believe in the cross and I should be doing the same. He said, actually, guys, I'm struggling here. I haven't been healed, but, you know, thank you for receiving me that way. Uh, the next one. I think is, you can click over to a cow. 2 Timothy 4, um, it's talking about um, uh, someone called, um, oh, uh, there you go. Erastus remained at Corinth. I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Just like very matter of fact, Paul said. He didn't say, hey, listen, man, just get your faith levels up. He said, no, no, I just left him there. You know, it just happened. You know, he got sick. Uh, other ones would um, talk again about um, uh, Philippians 2, verse 22, uh, 27. I don't have it here. Indeed, he was Ill, Ill near to death. But God had mercy on him. This is somebody in, in Paul's team. Not only him, but on me also. And so he didn't just say to the people, just believe more. He said, you're struggling, but that's okay. God's had mercy. So Paul didn't assume that he was guaranteed health now as a right through the cross. And we don't see this argument used by New Testament followers either. They most definitely moved in miraculous and powerful ways. We saw that with Paul. We saw that with Peter. We saw that with Matthew. But I believe we can have a robust biblical faith and not stretch the limits too far on either side. We also live in the kingdom now and the kingdom not yet. And that means that we will struggle and there will be difficulty. And scripture talks often about sufferings that we face, about persecutions that we face, about trials that we face. It's going to happen in our lifetime. It's not only reserved for certain people. It will happen and possibly happen to each of us. The kingdom of heaven is here, but it's also not fully here. Terry Virgo again says, unless we understand biblically the place of suffering in the Christian life, we shall experience Christianity light or Christianity 101 and be defenseless, bewildered, and easily crushed by unexpected events. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take courage. I've overcome the world. And so healing comes through the kingdom of God. Healing comes through the cross of Christ. And it fills my heart with joy when I think about the supernatural healing that Jesus has done that we read about in Scripture and that what I believe he's going to do at Hope Church as well. There's no formula to follow. There's nothing that we can claim. There's no divine right that we have or a guarantee of physical healing. But physical healing is something wonderful. It's something powerful. It's something supernatural. And it is something that's available. And we're excited and we're expectant for that. And so as we close... Maybe actually the host team could give out the, the communion stuff, if that's okay. Do they have it? 
and the host team can pass it around. While they're passing it around, keep concentrating. Um, I just want to say, and then we'll close off uh, in this. It's been a bit longer, but good to cover. How do you and I live as Christ followers in between? So don't worry about people dishing it out. Um, they'll come to you. How do we live? We've heard about where sickness comes from. We've heard about where healing comes from. How do we live? Number one, the biblical default is that sickness comes from Satan. And that's my default. When I pray for people, that is what I pray. I pray that Satan's work stops and Jesus' work grows. So whenever praying for the sick, this is the place to start. Ah, thank you, Cora. This is not right and the enemy is involved. So when we pray, we're gonna pray on the back of taking communion just now. We stand against the enemy's work. We pray with fervor and with faith to see darkness pushed back and healing restored. First one, biblical default. Second one, we should immediately pray for the sick to be well. Rather than get tied up into exactly why somebody's sick, what they've done, what they haven't done, we just need to get praying, filled with compassion and faith to see the sick person made well. And can I challenge us? I think I've shared this before. You know, it's really easy for us to say, oh, I'll pray for you later. Or no problem, I'll pray for you. No, I want us to stop and pray for people now. I want us to pray when the moment comes. Someone's like, oh, I've just got a flu on my back sore. No, we pray now because we want to see God touch and transform. Number three, be far more expectant about God's willingness and desire to heal than a reason that somebody might not be healed. God's goodness and grace is powerful enough to bridge any divide and his love is great enough to cover every issue in your life and mine. Jesus loved to heal regardless of circumstance and that's his heart today. So that's number three, be expectant for God to heal. And the last one, rest in the confidence that God loves everyone, that he is always at work, that one day he will make everything new and we can find deep peace and rest knowing that he has us in the palm of his hand whether we experience his healing right now on earth or not. So there's some very helpful guides as we live in between this and we step out in faith. And so we're going to take communion together. Those are still getting passed around. There's a few more, hey? Almost there. Well done, guys. Okay, so we're going to take communion, and I'll actually head across to that passage that I just read from in Corinthians, uh, and I'll just read on it. If you've never taken communion before, I know that we are a few minutes over. So apologies for that, but also not apologies. We can easily concentrate on a movie for two and a half hours or go and watch a sports game for two hours. So we should most definitely be able to give Jesus a bit over an hour, I think. Okay, so talking about the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11. And why do we do this? Why did Jesus tell his disciples to remember his body and to remember his blood? Why did Paul say the same? Why do we as the church do this? Well, it's because of what we've looked at today. Number one, it's remembering as Christ follows that Jesus' blood shed on the cross paid the price for our sin. That is something we should never get tired of. Saved from our sin for all eternity. And if you're exploring faith here today, I'm gonna pray for you because you can experience this life change today. That's the first one that we experience. And secondly, like we've just shared on, there is power in the cross of Christ. There is power. What he did when he died and rose again, he defeated the works of darkness. And so as we draw into that, as we gaze upon what he did, there's an opportunity for us to experience his supernatural healing, physical healing, emotional healing. There is power in the cross of Christ. That's what we believe in scripture. That's what we believe today. 
And so this is what it says. We will do this together. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so, Lord Jesus, as we take this little wafer as a symbol of your body broken for us, we want to say thank you. We want to say thank you that we do this remembering that you were broken, your body was broken, so that we can experience perfect health for all eternity, but actually also there's an opportunity for us to access healing, a wonderful source of healing through the power of the cross as you defeated the works of darkness, as you pushed back some of what was happened in the Garden of Eden, you pushed it back, and we get to embrace that, and we get to receive that today. So let's take that together and say thank you. Say thank you, Jesus, for your body broken for us. And then it says, in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we take this juice, which symbolizes his blood, the ultimate sacrifice, paid for our sin once and for all, God's goodness on display. And we say, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your blood shed for us. The ultimate price paid for our sin. We don't need to live in condemnation. We don't need to live in fear. We live in this wonderful celebration that when you look on us, you see perfection. You don't see our sin. There's a separated, as far as the east is from the west, you remember our sins no more. And one day, when we die, whatever reason and however we get there on that day or when you return, we stand before you perfect as we receive your payment for our sin. And so we just say thank you and let's take that together. Can we stand quickly? Just before the kids come, it would be... Uh, missing out on a great opportunity to see God do some stuff if we didn't pray for healing and God to work on the back of what we've looked at. And so, so yeah, let's just, let's just invite God to come. We want to invite his kingdom to be here as we close. He's here and he's close. We want to draw into him, draw into what he would say. For some of you today, he wants to give, maybe it's your first visit to church, maybe you're exploring faith. What he wants to give you today is spiritual healing. And if you know that you've never given your life to Christ, today you can say, Lord Jesus, would you pay the price for my sin? I've heard that you're good. I've heard that you died on the cross. I've heard that you heal spiritually. I've heard you heal physically. I've heard the world is a mess and it's broken. I've heard that you're preparing a new world one day. And I believe you can do that in your heart now. And as you say, I believe God changes you. He makes you into a son or a daughter. It's wonderful. You can fill in a card and we'd love to chat to you and support you afterwards. But right now, as you believe, he will change you. He will move you from death to life. 
I'd also like to pray for people just as we've been sharing, just as we've taken communion um, and spoken about the power of the cross. I'd love people to raise their hands who are really needing some healing, who are really going, there's part of my body that doesn't work properly. Maybe it's emotional, maybe it's mental, maybe it's physical. And you just feel as we've prayed here today, you feel there's the sense of faith rising. Even as I speak now, you feel maybe your heart rate quickening a bit as I say, hey, actually, God wants to stretch out his hand to heal and to touch. And so if that's you today and you have the sense of, no, uh, he's doing something and I, I would like to experience that touch of healing from him, I'd love you to raise your hand. I'd love you to be bold. I'd love you to lift up your hand and just say, yeah, that, that's me. I recognize God's, God's got my number. There's a number of people with their hands raised. Thank you. Thank you for your courage and your boldness. We're family, so nothing's ever embarrassing amongst us. We're family. And uh, there's a number of people with, uh, with hands raised. Please, can you keep them up? I want us to do a little bit of family business before we close. And I'd love you if you just glance quietly around yourself and you might see somebody who's put their hands up. I'd love you if you're bold. I don't mind if you move out of your chairs and stuff, but I'd love you to lay hands on people. Um, we do that too because Jesus told us to, but we also do that because we identify that his kingdom comes often through touch, often through those sorts of things. So move around or look around if you want um, on the benches. I don't mind. Keep your hand raised. If you don't have anyone with a hand on your shoulder, keep it up until, uh, until it's, um, it's there. We're going to pray outside. If that's you, put your hand up. And guys on the benches will definitely come alongside you and pray as well um, at the back. We're going to pray. We're going to pray that God comes in a wonderful way as we close. Let's, let's pray, all of us together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that none of this is strange. None of this is weird, but actually this is the normal Christian life. This is the miraculous life you've called us to. We don't do anything special, but we ask right now for these people who've raised their hands, maybe it's for someone else, maybe it's for them. Maybe it's physical, maybe it's emotional, maybe it's, maybe it's mental, maybe it's anxiety, those sorts of things. Father, right now we pray that your kingdom would come upon them. Right now, this moment, we pray that they would experience the power of healing that comes through the cross of Christ. As darkness was defeated on the cross of Christ. We pray that right now, through what you did those many years ago, through that moment in history where you died and rose again, would they experience the power of your healing and of your touch as a result what you did on the cross. Thank you for your presence over them right now. Thank you for your closeness in this moment. Those of you who are being prayed for, you, I know some of you are going to feel his physical touch transformation. You're going to sense his presence. You're going to feel weak at the knees. Maybe your heart's going to be racing. Maybe you're going to be overwhelmed with his love. Maybe tears are going to flow. But he's here and we just say thank you. Lord Jesus, may we always be a church that waits on you. That is willing to linger. That's willing to press in. Oh, you love faith. You love it when we're bold to raise our hands. You love it when we pray longer than we have to. You love it when we pursue you. Not because we have to, but because we want to. You love it when we cry out to you in desperation. 
We love it. You love it when we come to you as kids coming to a dad who longs to heal and longs to stretch out his power towards us. We stand against the works of the enemy right now. We say, Satan, your work was smashed at the cross. And God, your kingdom is more powerful than Satan's any day, every day. And so we push back the work of the enemy now. We stand against his work and we say any of his work operating in people's lives may it be pushed out and replaced by the presence and the kingdom of God. Anything that people might be going through and need to deal with before you, that can happen now. But Father, we just want to celebrate what you're doing amongst us. Celebrate what you're doing this moment. We want to thank you for your goodness. We want to thank you for your love proved on the cross. We want to thank you that even in the questions, even when we don't know why you haven't acted when we thought you would, even when we don't understand, you're close. And we know you love us because you died for us. And we know you love us because people are getting around us right now. And so we just want to say thank you. We want to say keep doing your work amongst us. Pour out your grace in increasing ways. Pour out your goodness. Pour out your healing. Why? So that your kingdom might come. So that many more might come to faith. That many more might see the goodness and the grace of our wonderful God. In your powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, everyone. Thank you for your boldness. If any of you felt the touch of God and felt Him do something, come and chat to me so we can share testimonies.